Welcome to Hospitality Forward. My name is Hana Lee. I am president and founder of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency. We are specialized in building national and global brands for bars, restaurants, hotels, and travel destinations. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor in chief at Hana Lee Communications, and a food and beverage writer. We created this podcast to help hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. As a journalist myself and Hannah as a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its positive impact on someone's career and business. So tune in every week to hear us interview top journalists who share their insights and tips to be featured in the media. Hannah and I are also the authors and producers of our agency's first book. The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, which is now available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and independent bookstores nationwide. Each week, we give away a copy of the Japanese Art of the Cocktail to our listeners. So please share a pitching tip you found most interesting from our episode, and email us at info at hanaleecommunications dot com. That's info at h a n n a l e e communications with an s. dot com, and have hospitality forward in the subject line for a chance to win a book. And now we're delighted to chat with Will Price, Gear Patrol's home and drinks editor. Will is fascinated by bourbon, houseplants, cheap Japanese pens, and cast iron skillets. Hi, Will. So great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I am.、Uh, I'm, I'm pumped to be here. Us too. We are pumped to have you. <laughs> Let's talk about Gear Patrol. I love it because I think you guys are creating amazing content, and that's one of the reason we wanted to invite you to be on our show. Because a lot of people actually ask if we can have somebody from Gear Patrol, and we're like, okay, for <laughs> hospitality industry, it's gotta be Will. Thank you. I, I I will do my best to represent my my coworkers. How would you describe? Gear Patrol, and what do you cover, and who's the audience? All good questions and things that I, I think my answer has changed、uh, the longer I've worked with the with the magazine. But、um, I describe it as a it's a publication. You know, we have a website and print magazine for people who.、Uh, Who like nice products that work well, but aren't aren't necessarily sort of needlessly excessive.、Um, I don't consider it necessarily a luxury publication. You know, like we may cover some subjects like that, but for the most part,、uh, what we're about is vetting products, recommending products to people that are kind of like a step up from the the everyday.、Um, most of our readers are men, though I wouldn't say it's purely a men's magazine. We do have you know a sizable percentage of the audience is women. So, and、uh, we cover everything. Um, you know,、uh, from cars to consumer technology to fitness equipment. I don't know hi- hiking gear. Obviously,、uh, lots of booze, mattresses. Every you know, if, if it's sort of a, a consumer product, then、uh, we probably have a, an expert on staff who's tested and reviewed you know dozens and dozens of versions of it. So, looking back, you joined Gear Patrol in 2018 as a staff writer, and now you're the home and drinks editor. So, what exactly does that entail, and what does your day to day look like? What a combo! 
home and <laughs> drinks editor. I love it. <laughs> My boss calls it the great catch-all um, because it's like it's just all the fun things. Exactly, uh, all the you know everything that you use or that you play with that isn't directly connected to either technology or I guess uh, fitness or clothes. If it's in your house, then then we've sort of like tested, reported on it, you know what have you. So my day to day is um, a mixture of uh, kind of liaising with uh, staff writers as well as freelancers, um, making sure you know the stories we're working on that are nearing publication are as insightful and. Uh, concise and authoritative, I guess, as they can be, um, while also sort of looking further into the future, what are the what are the subjects that people are going to be searching around for, wanting answers for, wanting more information on, you know, a, a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, and so on. So a lot of a lot of it is sort of like balancing the present with, you know, the not so distant future, I guess, as well as we have, you know, this pri if anyone who works in media now knows, you know, you're never, you're very rarely working on one thing. So, you know, at first it's what's publishing tomorrow, then it's what's publishing in a month, and then it's, you know, the magazine that's publishing in two months and so on and so forth. So the day-to-day -day is always just about juggling priorities, you know, what, what really needs to be done today. And um, sometimes that's editing 10 or 11 stories for a print magazine. And sometimes that's, you know, I have a number of I don't think people listening to the podcast can see it, but I have a number of little tiny sample whiskey bottles around me. So, so, so sometimes it might be sampling, you know, a dozen different whiskeys to kind of think about review and rate and a guide. So every every day is, is, I would say, dramatically different depending on who's screaming at me on Slack or whatever. So that's part of the job I do like, to be honest. Uh, monotony is does not go well with my brain. I kind of have to have this constant switching and stimulus. Yeah, just like a you know PI job. It's nothing exactly. same. It's always different. That excites me as well. So you write and you edit mm -hmm. for our audience. Can you tell us the difference between a writer and an editor. Yeah, it's actually um, it's one of those things that uh, I think at face value someone might say like, oh, like a writer writes and editor edits. But for the most part, digital media now is editors are, you know, depending on your le level of editor, I guess, you know, you're, you'll write uh, a fair amount as well. So um, I'm still writing, you know, a story or two per week, uh, I would say. Um, and, you know, which may be pale in comparison to our staff writers who are turning out, you know, much more than that. But the, the key difference is that I... Uh, I'm focused on sort of formulating the strategy for uh, my coverage area. So, you know, making sure that I have uh, a handle on timeliness of stories. So, for example, if my job is to cover products in the home and design space, I need to know if with fall coming around the corner, what kind of things are people really looking for in fall? The answer is, you know, people typically are searching more for, I've mentioned whiskey already, whiskey, they're searching more for coffee makers, they're searching more for even things as small as, uh, you know, wool blankets or something, right? So my job is to make sure that we have all the we have all the areas we should be covering covered, and that we're doing that in a way that is thoughtful. And I've mentioned kind of authoritative and all those other nice adjectives. But that is that's the key difference. I think my writers and uh, freelance writers are, they execute and they contribute a ton to what we're doing as far as uh, on the strategy end as well. But my job job is to make sure that that strategy is both working and also just, you know, executed at a high quality, I guess, kind of polished. Yeah, I have to say strategy is everything, but flawless execution is even more important. So Absolutely. you're wearing both hats. Impressive. <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, whiskey several times, and uh -huh. that is a subject that is close to our hearts. So what do you like most about covering spirits? Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of hard to really point at anything you don't like about covering it. <laughs> it's sort of a, you know, whenever I tell people that it's part of my job, they sort of go like, how do you get paid for that? So um, 
<laughs> what I like most, though, is actually not uh, the obvious, which I guess would just be access to a lot of quality spirits. What I like most about it is um, that there is a it's very much like a cultural um, thing that we consume. So unlike, for example, and not to, you know, disparage the name of uh, these products, but unlike a stick vacuum story or a comparison of different cutting boards, when you're talking whiskey or vodka or tequila or rum or whatever your preferred vice is, I guess, uh, when you write stories in this space and when you read other people's stories or what have you, there's always conversations around them. People are constantly, whether it's bickering and arguing with you or, you know, or, or just talking about their favorite bottles or whatever, that aspect of this category is very intriguing to me. It's sort of an enthusiast-driven space in a way that a lot of product writing isn't. You know, people always say that they, they're afraid of like people getting mad at them on Twitter or Reddit or whatever about a story they're writing. But to me, that's like the most exciting thing that can happen unless you're like printed like a falsehood. But, other, you know, if they're just kind of engaging with your story, like that's, that's the ideal reaction, you know, having a story that hits so hard that people want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, whiskey lovers are definitely a passionate lot. Yeah, boy, do I know. my my email inbox is, is filled with them day in day out <laughs> arguing. You know, and I it's all in good fun. It's you know, it's it's whiskey. It's not uh, you know, we're not doctors or doing anything that's genuinely important. We're just talking about whiskey. You know, the stakes are low, but I do like how intense the the conversation's going to become. Well, speaking of whiskeys, one of my favorite section of Gear Patrol is your shelf sleeper. Column. Oh. Love the name. So, <laughs> can you. you explain a little bit about it and how it came about? With all, I think, with especially in the booze space, and I, I would almost say it beyond as well. But um, I find that there's a lot of uh, a lot of praise and um, talk is focused on like very, very, very pricey. Um, products, you know, the the kind of the ultra premiums. And it's not just in the whiskey space, it's in every category, I think. Um, so it was originally designed as, uh, or thought of, I guess, as, as, as almost just me ranting about like, oh, you know, well, this bottle everybody cares about and that's very expensive is good, but you can get something that's, I think, as good or better for, you know, half the price and very few people talk about it. So it was almost just me being like a curmudgeon, you know, in our company Slack channel, just complaining that, you know, the, the there's so much good stuff that doesn't get the light of doesn't get the light of day, you know, online. And then I realized like, oh wait, I have a website. I can just publish <laughs> these things and give them the light of day. So that's <laughs> I sort of solved the the issue I was complaining about, or at least I tried to. Um I publish them, um, you know, every couple of weeks uh, as I can and uh, typically highlight sort of, I guess you just call it underappreciated or undervalued bottles of whiskey. And uh, our, our audience tends to react to it pretty well, especially when, um, especially when you know, it's, it's something that maybe it's from a bigger brand, but it's a bottle they've never heard of or something like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of my favorites as well. So how do you choose the particular spirits that you feature? What's, what's your process? What's your criteria? How do you become one of those uh, featured? A lot of them, a lot of them come to mind immediately, just from knowing the, the space. The original ones, I guess, did. So um, one of the, the one that made me write the story actually was a. Uh, I think, I think this is true. The very first one was a it's bottle. Uh, it's called Jack Daniel's Single Barrel Barrel Proof, which is a terrible name, I have to say. But it's, um, a mouthful. it's an excellent. <laughs> it's one of the best whiskeys you could buy, and I've never seen anybody write a thing about it. Um, so I had a few kind of like that. Um, and then after that, it was a combination of, you know, me, one kind of vetting, uh, certain bottles, like, are people talking about this? So I'd go on, um, 
and I think this is important and for for any for any writer to kind of look around in the space and what what, what communities are talking about. So I check uh, Twitter and I check you know Reddit's bourbon subreddit or whiskey subreddits, um, and I just kind of skim and look around and see you know like what are the things that everybody is constantly talking about and what are the things that maybe are just popping every now and then, and then the things that I just never see a peep from. So that last, those, that second and last category are the ones that I wanted to serve most. So um, I used a combination of uh, bottles I know, and then also talking to, I have, I have uh, contacts with all sorts of people who know far more about uh, good whiskey than I do think people like, um, you know, Fred Minnick, who's a big, big name in the space. Um, there's a lot of reviewers, a guy named uh, uh, Jay, he goes by Take online, T-8-K-E. Um, he's reviewed like thousands of different spirits. Um, so that's typically how I do it. And, you know, occasionally, you know, I'll go through, I'll just walk through a liquor store myself and be like, huh, what's that? And I'll, you know, buy a bottle. And if it holds up to kind of the price point and other bottles around it on the shelf, then I'll, you know, consider it for the piece. So. Is, is there a, a maximum price point that you'll focus on or? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, I guess I hadn't, I've never really thought about establishing one. I think the highest price we've done is probably um, in the 60s. And uh, I just thought, and that's higher than I would want to do, but I sort of, in my brain, it was justified as like this bottle, if it were made by a different company or if it had a different name, would cost $200 or something like that. So it, it was still to me a great value. Um, so as you know, we've I think I think there's we've there's been bottles as low as like thirteen dollars on there. So we'll go as low as that. And I think I would go as high as I don't know if there's like a specific number, but if I think something presents a great value and isn't really um receiving the attention that perhaps it deserves, whether it's from a big distillery or a producer or a small one, um you know, I think we'll go for it. I, for example, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would ever do. A, I don't think very, very many spirits are uh, are are good value above, you know, like one hundred and fifty or two hundred dollars. Some maybe, but very few on the shelf are. So I don't think I would go ever anywhere near those numbers. And you know, I typically like to keep things on the budget side because I think most people also like to keep things on the budget side. Yeah, true. agreed. Agreed. And when it comes to uh, whiskey recommendation. There's nobody better than Fred Manick. That's I true. Mean, he's such an amazing human being, first of all, but mm -hmm. all thing whiskey, I mean... Excellent person and uh, ab absolutely brilliant, I agree. So gazing into your crystal ball, what new trends do you see arising in spirits and drinks overall in the coming months? Yeah, this is always the... This is, this is, this is always a tough one for me to answer. So I think... Um, one of the things that this isn't the direct answer to your specific question, but I'll get there. One of the things I think has been interesting to follow over the last couple of years and something I've, I tracked and wrote a small piece on or email newsletter was is sort of the rising cost. And I'm going to go back to whiskey here for a second, but the rising cost of, uh, of American bourbon or uh, bourbon whiskey. Um, and it's something I think that um, a lot of people sort of, uh, especially like sort of regu more regular bourbon drinkers, maybe tacitly understand just sort of like, oh, well, that bottle is you know, $4 more than I remember it being or what have you, but um, maybe don't understand the degree to which prices have risen over the past, uh, you know, decade and a half or, well, frankly, much longer than that, but they've sort of more dramatically risen in the last five to 10 years. Um, and uh, with what I find most interesting about it is I don't think it's, unlike I think the general reaction to be like, oh, the price is rising, like that's, you know, that's unfair to the consumer. What I think is interesting about this, this uh, specific rise and why I keep pitching it uh, is uh, it's mostly because bourbon whiskey was so undervalued for so many decades following, um, uh, well, before and following prohibition. I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, 20 years ago, uh, just as a 
just a very brief anecdote. 20 years ago, you could buy um, a bottle of whiskey that came from a barrel that had to sit around in a warehouse for 12 years, you know, before it was ever put in a bottle and ever, you know, ever uh, vatted and put, you know, sent out and put on trucks and all these different logistical processes and finally arrived on the shelf and you could buy it for $25. Um, and that's I'm, specifically I'm referring to uh, a bottle called Weller 12 year, which nowadays is far more expensive. But, um, you know, 20 years ago and probably even more recent than that, you could get it for almost nothing. And that's just a uh, when you when you compare that to something like scotch, it wouldn't even be you know that would even be a conversation that you would not find uh, you know product like that around that price point. Well, you know, very rarely, perhaps. Um, so that's something I've, I I find is, uh, is sort of fascinating to track and something that is um, I think folks are starting to come keen to now and talking about more. Um, it's it's a, it's almost like a, a deserved price rise, which I, most people, including myself as a whiskey drinker, don't like to. You know, we don't. It's it doesn't feel great accepting that, but it also it's it sort of is a fact when it comes to producing these products. Quality takes a lot of money and a lot of time. Absolutely agreed. Speaking of stories, you must get tons of email pitches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, what type of pitches get your attention to say? This is interesting. I want to check it out. Yeah, um, that's a good question. So I get pitches from uh, from freelance writers as well as um, PR professionals, such as yourself. Um, for me, what what's, what what excites me are people who've clearly done the research and sort of built this story on more than um, you know than something. Uh, cosmetic or something small. So, you know, they have all the relevant information as to, as to who, I should, you know, experts I could talk to, um, you know, kind of like maybe research that's been done in the space. If it's something that's uh, like maybe trend-based, you know, a link to uh, a data that's been pulled together. Um, th- those are the kind of pitches that um, get me thinking beyond just um, maybe this could work or thinking beyond uh just you know uh, let me let me think more about it and do my own research if this this is going to sound um this is going to sound vain or even lazy but when when pitches come in and they've kind of done the some of that legwork for you um you can then begin to think of the more creative side of the story um things like uh i don't know like could we or, could we organize a, a custom illustration for the story could we do a big photo shoot could we you know, who, what other personalities could we bring into this? Could I make this a series of stories? That kind of thing. So, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say I'd, I did. Most of the pitches I get just can be very soft and very just like, okay, I get your, I get what you're pitching, but I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not buying, so to speak. Um, uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm lucky enough to, you know, have developed a number of great relationships with folks in PR that, uh, you know, so they send just excellent exactly what I need to know, you know, that kind of thing, uh, and kind of pull me into the loop as quickly as I can. And we can start kind of ideating beyond that. Great. Well, so for those who's ready to pitch you with all those insights and numbers and expert suggestions, mm-hmm. what's the best way for our listeners to contact you? I've, I've, you know, I'll do pod, I've done like our Gear Patrol Zone podcast before on other podcasts and I always, I, I have no issue leaving my email out there. Um, I, I read, uh, every email I get and, uh, it's wprice at gearpatrol.com. Um, I am always game for people to pitch me. Uh, that's if sometimes, sometimes I may, you know, if I don't reply immediately or reply a week later, don't fret. I have, I'm obsessive about making sure that I've actually, I've, I've read all my emails and making sure I'm up to date. Um, yeah, but uh, now that you know what I'm looking for, um, you know, try to aim for something like that and we can work together because, uh, those are the types of sort of, uh, pitches that I'm going to respond to most likely, I think. So which organization or person, uh, have you seen that's really innovating? and moving hospitality forward. 
Can I cheat and give you more than one? I can give you two or three. Oh, I, yes, please. There, um, there are different spaces. But um, uh, the first one is is uh, a guy named Kenji Lopez-Alt or J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. Oh, my God. We sure. love him. We're fans. He's so great. Yeah, he's a, he is an absolutely wonderful um, story storyteller, uh, teacher, everything. I highly recommend going to his YouTube channel if you want to learn how to cook really, really well, really, really easily. But um, I was going to specifically shout out one thing that I think is um, – kind of sadly uh, forward thinking or innovative, but it's something he sort of is, is I would say, is the leader in and his sort of uh, this constant rejection of uh, kind of macho chef culture. Um, he talks about it all the time in his videos, all the time in his books. Um, he's uh, very much sort of against that uh, hyper, you know, hyper kind of almost toxic masculinity in the kitchen space. I, I used to work um, uh, before college and during college in uh, in kitchens and in, at, for catering services. And that is such a destructive work environment so when you know, people like him kind of talking about it i think is really important and uh he's also just an excellent person um or i guess on topic of what we were talking about um my this is sort of a part of me didn't want to say this because i don't know if it's <laughs> professional uh, but my favorite uh publication in the booth space um and i don't really know if it's particularly close is punch um they're oh, yes. uh, the people at punch are just uh uh, if you're, you know, if you're interested, in, if you're interested in, in beer, or wine, spirits, or if you're a journalist or or a press professional or whatever, whoever you are, a student, etc., um, they do such good cultural storytelling in the space. Um, I I think I check I check it most days when I'm just you know I'm I'm having lunch or whatever just to see if there's a story that's particularly interesting me I want to read. Um, it's very thoughtful. A lot of people don't take uh, don't take drinking uh, seriously enough to write like really well done essays on like the people and the products that kind of make this world tick. Um, but they do. And I think it's awesome. And the last one is a uh, fawn weaver of uncle nearest whiskey. Um, she, you know, talk about a huge step forward. Uh, you know, we, it's a black woman leading a surging whiskey brand is a, just a massive step forward for a category that has been, you know, frankly, it's been, it's been older and it's been wider for way too much of its history. And she's kind of just, I don't know, she's put that brand in, on the map, and I think it's super, super impressive. Um, she's also just a wonderful person, just like those other, just like Kenji and, you know, whomever else, and the people at Punch. So that, that kind of makes me happy as well. Yes. All right. Back to our favorite topic, cocktails and drinks. Mm -hmm. If you had to choose one cocktail to share with your closest friend, what would it be and why? I think I know the answer. Something whiskey. <laughs> you actually, you, you might be. I think this is so. This is this is always um, as I, you know, because we I sip and taste whiskey so much for. I, I it always feels so strange to say for work, but um, <laughs> my favorite cocktails are mostly um, are mostly kind of more uh, things. Well, one simpler and two, uh, I really like agave spirits. And, and when it comes to cocktails, they're almost all my favorite cocktails are, are tequila or mezcal. So. Um, and if you think about what's simple and what's what's uh, an agave spirit cocktail, I'm going to go with maybe the simplest, and that is uh, a Paloma. Um, I have like a, for me, a big part of uh, a great cocktail is sort of something that makes me think or uh, makes me kind of like, I don't know, it, it makes me remember things or makes me like think I should be somewhere, you know, on the beach with a pina colada or whatever, you know, margarita, you're, you're in Mexico, whatever it may be for you. Um, for me, uh, a Paloma is the... Uh, the essence of just a brilliant, uh, simple, complex, but, you know, again, it's, you know, the, the, the ingredient list is not long. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I just, I think it's, I think it's absolutely delicious. And I, uh, it's something that I will drink at both kind of like 
you know, divey bars that aren't really uh, aren't really doing anything super special or super serious with the cocktail program, all the way up to places that um, you know are are making like custom ice cubes and crazy stuff like that. So I it's just a, I think it's a brilliant drink. Um, and my second pick would probably be a whiskey drink, It'd be a highball. There's there's really nothing better than having a whiskey highball when you're in Tokyo. Oh my goodness, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. Speaking of Tokyo and drinking Paloma at a beach, mm-hmm. what would be your dream destination, either for business trip or pleasure, and why? I've I've been lucky enough to travel. Well, obviously, before before the pandemic default. Uh, landed but travel um to a number of places for work and um the answer for work and pleasure i think would both be the same it'd be japan like i mentioned um i just um when i went there you know i uh i was obviously very excited to go we were doing it was a trip it was a japanese whiskey trip um and uh, there's loads and loads of things i wanted to see and do and i got to see and do them but what i really really fell in love with was just uh how uh everything like from whether it's food or or cocktail culture or um almost everything within Japan itself is just so like thought out and planned and meticulous and specific. And the, it's, you know, in America, um, I had sort of thought of a whiskey highball as just sort of, you know, it's, it's whiskey and, you know, it's whiskey soda. It's not, it's basically just, you know, it's basically whiskey and soda. It's a very simple drink. It's just something you drink when you, you know, you would like some whiskey, but you don't want to drink it on the rocks. It's sort of in my head, you know, that was mm-hmm. the time and place. But when you go to Japan, they, it's like an art form, you know, um, and they do that, exactly. they do that with everything. It's not just, uh, obviously not just booze. And I just find that's, it was just, uh, it's just engrossing. I don't know other way to describe it. Um, you don't even need to be in like a creative field to feel it. But if you are in a creative field, I think it's just uh, a place that's almost like intoxicating just to walk around and, you know, I don't know, just see what's see what's going on, um, whether it's Tokyo or Kyoto or, uh, you know, other places in the country. But great place. I'm, uh, I'm in love with it. I can't wait to go back. Same here. Couldn't agree more. We can go back to Japan anytime. Mm. And just so much cultural inspirations and drink scene is so amazing. And speaking of Japanese, our first book just came out called The Japanese Art of the Cocktail. We will definitely get you uh, a copy. Yes. I, I co-authored it with uh, Masahiro Urushido of Katana Kitten. There you go. And so you know. everything you want to know about Japanese cocktails and spirits and bartending techniques and the whole culture that surrounds uh, the various expressions. Yeah. It's a precision mm-hmm. and passion. Two word precision. And everything. Everything. The art. That's right there. Well... So great to speak with you. We really enjoyed our conversation and really thanks for taking the time. And thanks for what you do for our community. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. This was fun. It's always enlightening speaking with Will. Now that you know what he's looking for, please feel free to reach out to him and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard him on our podcast. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline, so please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues who you think would benefit from the tips our journalist friends share on our show. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.